Have you ever visited a place that was far more beautiful and incredible than you expected? In this teaching, Pastor Dale is going to take you on a tour of heaven. This message is the third in the series, A Timeless Christmas. The message is entitled, Describing the Indescribable. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets, but one thing I do want to encourage you to remember, don't forget, don't forget Christmas Eve, uh, celebrating together coming up this week. There will be four services here in the Gaithersburg campus, two, four, six, and eight, so uh, probably in some fellow of your day, that day, one of those uh, services should fit in your schedule, and for those of you that might be in the Frederick area, 7.15 p.m. service will happen in the Frederick campus as well, so I'm looking forward to sharing Christmas Eve together this week, week with all of us uh, celebrating the birth of Jesus. Tonight we're going to continue our series of messages talking about a timeless Christmas, and I want to talk uh, for a few moments this evening about describing the indescribable, and what we're going to do is talk about what heaven is like. We're going to take a look at what the scriptures say about heaven. When Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, he died on the cross ultimately for us and gave his life and rose again from the grave, and part of what he provided for us in salvation is something called eternal or everlasting life. And so when you come to know Christ, you receive many, many gifts, but one of those gifts that you receive is the gift of eternal or everlasting life. It's an amazing thing to think about that when you and I die, when we as believers in Jesus Christ, the last breath that we take here, we're actually going to another place. We're going to a place called heaven. I'm glad that place exists, aren't you? I'm thankful for a place, an actual place called heaven. But to try to understand this place called heaven is kind of like trying to describe the indescribable. Maybe you've gone to a place before and it was absolutely beautiful, incredible, and you came back and you tried to tell somebody about where you had been and you really didn't have the best pictures, you didn't have the best language to try to describe it, but you did the best you could and finally you said, well, you just had to be there. You just had to be there. And there's something about heaven that when you and I try to even imagine it or describe it, it's one of those things that we will just have to be there to really grasp the reality of what it's all about. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 7 through 10. Listen to what he says. He says, Know we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and, and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. Notice that, freight, that, that statement. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, the human mind cannot conceive all the good things God has prepared for those that love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The search, Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. So even Paul says, you can't imagine all the good things God has prepared for us. But what I'm going to try to do this weekend and next weekend is to try and describe the indescribable. I've got an impossible task these two weekends. How am I going to describe for you what heaven is like? What I'm going to do is take you on a fairly fast journey through heaven. I'm going to try to answer some of the questions that some of you uh, submitted to me about eternity in heaven, and I will answer them as we go through. Some of them I would not, was not able to cover every question that was asked, and so many different questions and different aspects of things that we could talk about literally for, for weeks on end when we talk about eternity and what it's all about. But to the best of my ability, from what I understand about heaven from the Bible, I'm going to share with you tonight, or this weekend and next weekend, a total of 12 things that I know about, about heaven. 
Six things now. You ready for six things that will help you to understand more about where you're going when you die? This is a little travel brochure to heaven, okay? Just give you a little bit of an idea of what it's like. And so let me give you six things that uh, we must understand about heaven. The Bible seems to be very clear about these six things, six more things next weekend. First of all, in heaven, you will experience no more sickness, sorrow, or pain. And you want to say hallelujah to that. In heaven, you will experience no more, no more sickness, no more sorrow, and no more pain. One of the problems with living in this world, as we live in a world that is cursed by sin, it is a broken world, and because we live in a broken world, we have to deal with disease and destruction. We have to deal, deal with disappointments and grief and all those things that come our way. But when we move from this life to the next life as relate, in relationship with Jesus Christ, in that moment when you go to heaven... As soon as you enter into the gates of heaven, what I promise you is this, all of your pain will be relieved, all of your disappointments will be removed, all the sorrow will go from your life, and that moment you will experience freedom from those things that have tormented you oftentimes throughout your whole life here on earth. What an amazing thing. Listen to the book of Revelation, chapter 21, verses 3 and 4, as John, the revelator, talks about uh, this, this picture, this orientation, understanding of heaven. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone for how long? Forever. Can you imagine the broken places of your life, the hurts, the disappointments, the sorrows that you've gone through in life? That when you enter into heaven, God just wipes those tears away from you. Wipes them from your memory. Wipes them from your experience. Can you imagine never, ever, ever again being in a place of sickness, sorrow, or pain? And by the way, if you have loved ones that have gone to be with Jesus and they died in the faith knowing Christ and maybe they were suffering some horrible disease or some kind of sickness, I want you to know that they're fully whole in heaven right now. And when you envision them being there, don't envision them the way you saw them in their last days here. Envision them as they are now, perfectly whole, perfectly well, perfect health, absolutely no sorrow. They're, they're happier than you are, I promise you. They're celebrating around the throne of God. Phenomenal, amen? Number two, what about heaven? What kind of place is it? It's a place of reunion and rich relationships. Heaven is a place of reunion and rich relationships. Some folks will ask me, in fact, one of the questions that was asked about eternity, do, 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 you, do you know people in heaven when you get there? Do you, as believers, do you know other people in heaven? Will you recognize other people in heaven? And here's the answer. The basic answer is this. You will know people better in heaven than you know them here. Because you really don't know everybody here, do you? You know what they want you to know about them, Right? And what you know about people here is what they're willing to share with you in the most vulnerable moments of their lives, and you can kind of get to know them to some degree, but, but we, we're always, even in a marriage relationship, as close as that is, we're always discovering new things about one another. There are a lot of things that, that we don't know about each other here, but when we get to heaven, we're going to actually know each other better in heaven than we actually did here on earth. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse number 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know fully, even as I am fully known. Paul said, when I get to heaven, I'm going to know fully, even as I am fully known. Think about your relationships also here on earth. When you think about relationships here on earth, do your relationships sometimes get complicated? 
You know why they're complicated? Because you're complicated, okay? <laughs> and the other person's complicated. And you got stuff that you carry with you and baggage and hurts and things. And all of us are walking around just an accident on the way to happen relationally, right? I mean, we're just always getting into stuff with people because we don't know how to relate well and we have problems with those kind of things. But what I want you to know is that when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to relate without all that baggage. That baggage will go away. Isn't it great to know? You'll be able to remove the baggage, which will bring about the capacity to have a vulnerability and the richness of relationships that you never were able to have here on earth. And also, I promise you that when you get to heaven, you're going to be able to communicate with all those who have gone to heaven before you. Let me read for you Luke chapter 9. This is exciting to me. I want to read verses 28 through 30, and we'll talk about some of this together. After eight days, this is Jesus, by the way, during his earthly ministry, and he goes up on the, what's called the Mount of Transfiguration, and notice what happens. After, about eight days after Jesus said this, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up on a mountain to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, talking with Jesus. So here is Peter, James, and John. They're on the mountain with Christ, and he's, he's praying to his Father. And in this moment, he's transfigured. He has this amazing moment that they see the glory of Christ coming upon him. And then they look and see, there's, there's Moses and Elijah. Now, here's what I want you to see. That when you get to heaven, you're going to have conversations, the opportunity to have some conversations with people like Moses and Elijah and David and Samuel and all of the great men and women of the Bible. I can't, I'm looking forward to having an extended conversation with Moses, aren't you? I want him to describe for me firsthand, what was that bush like, okay? I want to know what the bush, you got any pictures, okay? Do you have a selfie with you at the bush, okay? I want to know. I want to talk to me about that. I want to, I want to talk to David about David, David's experiences and celebrating around the, in, in, in Jerusalem when he was established king of Israel after all of that long history of being pursued by Saul. What was that like for you, David? Tell me about it firsthand. I can't wait to talk to James and John and, and Peter and Andrew and say, hey, you know, when Jesus walked by and asked you to come follow me and you guys like left everything and followed, what was that all about? How did that happen in your life? I want some conversations like that and the good news is that we get to have them with those who have gone before us. Isn't that incredible to think about? Who's in heaven right now? Think about it for a moment. Who is in heaven right now? God is obviously in heaven. The angels are in heaven right now. The church, that is the true believers that have known Christ and have died before you, they're all there. All the believers from times past that looked forward to the Messiah in faith looking for Him to come, they're all there. I'm telling you, heaven is an amazing place. It's going to be in a wonderful moment of reunion. But not only the saints of old of the Bible, but folks that you know that have died in their faith and now they're already in heaven. And when you get there, you're going to be able to party with them for eternity. Isn't that amazing? Anybody have some folks that knew Jesus that have already died and gone to heaven? Anybody know some folks like that? Are you looking forward to seeing them? Can you imagine? This is what we call a true homecoming. A true homecoming of celebration together. Hebrews 12, 22, and 23 describes this atmosphere of relationship and reunion in heaven. I mean, it's a very relational place. The writer says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. Here we're describing, he's describing heaven. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in 
heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. All of this describes the atmosphere, the relational atmosphere in heaven. I promise you this, in heaven you will never be lonely again. See, sometimes here on earth... We battle loneliness. We feel like, well, maybe I'm just all alone. Maybe no one really cares for me or who do I really have in my life? And even sometimes those that you count as friends disappoint you along the way. But I promise you, when you get to heaven, you will never, ever be lonely again. You will have not only the pure presence of God at all times, but you'll have the most fulfilling relationships you could ever have or ever dream for. That is all in heaven waiting for you. Number three, the third thing. The Bible describes regarding this place called heaven as heaven is a place of meaningful, enjoyable, and purposeful work. A lot of words there, but I wanted you to get all of them. Let me read it for you again. Heaven is a place of meaningful, enjoyable, and purposeful work. Somebody said that doesn't sound like heaven, work, okay? Well, yes, it is, because you know work is a positive thing, isn't it? You ever had a job before that you were doing, and you finished it, and you stepped back from it and said, wow, that feels good. I like what I did there. I enjoyed doing that. It was something of productivity that came from your life. All of us as human beings have a desire, an innate desire put in us by God to be productive, to actually do something meaningful with our lives. That's from God. And many people don't realize that work is a blessing from God. Work is not a curse. Work is a blessing. In fact, work was something that God gave to mankind actually before they fell into sin. Work happened in Genesis chapter 2. Sin came in chapter 3. And so work is a divine gift given to us by God. And a lot of people have this idea that when you get to heaven, it's sort of like an extended vacation forever and ever and ever. We just kind of go on vacation forever. And I like vacations. Thank God for vacations. But at some point in time, I've had enough. How about you? Okay, I'm ready to go home. Okay. So the vacation is over. And so there's, there's a vacational element of things, if you will, in heaven. But we understand as well that work is something that God has ordained for us to do. We have no specific understanding right now of all the work that will be involved in heaven. But let me take you to some scriptures that point this out, okay? One of the things that we know is that God's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. We don't know what that's going to be like. I can't describe fully what a new heaven and a new earth will be, but uh, what we see in Scripture is that there's going to be functioning in this new heaven and new earth. The beautiful thing about it, there'll be no sin there. A perfect new heaven, a perfect new earth. And so I don't know what God has in mind, but one thing I know is that it's going to be a great place for us to be productively engaged for eternity. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 3. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the, hev- the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. They will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. Chapter Chapter 7 of Revelation, verse 15. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, talking about those of us gathered around Him, those of us that know Him. They are before the throne of God and serve Him. What do they do? They serve Him. They serve Him day and night in His temple, and He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 and 3. Or do you not know that the Lord's people, that's us, will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12. Here's a trustworthy saying. If we die with Him, we will also live with Him. If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we disown Him, He will also disown us. All of these verses point, out, point us to the fact that when you and I get to heaven, there will be meaningful, fulfilling work prepared for you to do. And here's the key. How you handle what God gives you here will determine what God entrusts you with there. That makes this life important, doesn't it? How you handle, let me say it again, how you handle whatever God has given to you here, it's not just about here, but how you handle what God's given you here will impact what happens to you when you get there, what God entrusts you with there. Remember the story, the, the, the parable of the talents? The man that had five, and then he gained five more, and he said, enter into the joy of your master. You've been faithful with a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. So what he did with the little, multiplying it, prepared him for his future. So God has promised to reward us in that way. Now, in terms of our work in heaven, it's not work that will be boring. Because boredom does not exist in heaven. There's no boredom in heaven. You will be the most positively stimulated, creative, capable person you could ever be. Why? Because all of the restrictions. Have you ever felt before in your work that there was more in you that you could do or accomplish in the task that was being handed to you than you could really get out? You wanted to get more, you wanted to do a better job, but you, you felt like there was more potential, but you couldn't quite tap everything in you. And that's, that's a limitation that we experience as human beings. But when we get to heaven, those limitations will be removed. And you will, you will have a task that you will enjoy, work that you will do that will bring out the highest capabilities and creativity that you could ever imagine for your life. That leads me to my fourth thing, heaven is a place of continual growth and development. It's a place of continual growth and development. Now, the idea is you die, you go to heaven, and then you are, quote, sort of made perfect in heaven. This is how most people think. And you're sort of made like an angel, and you go on this extended vacation, or you, as we've talked about before, you uh, maybe you float around on the clouds, and you play a harp or something for a really, really long time, or you just go to church services forever and ever. This is the mindset that you have about most people think of heaven that way. But you have to understand that when you get to heaven, you're not going to stop. You will be, your sins will be removed because you're in a perfect place now, but you will continue to grow and develop. Why? Because do you think that when you get to heaven, you're going to know everything you can know about God? No. You think, you're going to every, you think you will know everything you could ever know about the stuff God's created? No. Think of it this way. Best way I can illustrate it for you. Maybe you've gone to a resort before, some kind of place, an amusement park maybe. Let's use that as an example. And you make it into the amusement park. You got the ticket and you made it in, but you still don't know everything about that amusement park, do you? You spend the whole day doing what? going around that amusement park, seeing as much of it as you can, seeing the different shows that are there, and riding the different rides that are there. You're in a place, 
and you got the ticket that got you into the place. But when you got into the place, that was just the beginning of the process. You still had a lot of discovery to do when you got there. And here's the beautiful thing about heaven. God is so amazing and so massive, and His creative capacity is beyond anything that you and I can imagine. And His knowledge and wisdom goes beyond anything you, can, you and I can even scratch the surface of. It's going to take eternity just to even begin to understand some of those aspects of who God is. And so you enter into heaven and you're stepping into a possibility of growth and development forever and ever and ever and ever. That excites me. I tell you, I'm not about, I'm sure about you, but it does me. I, I like growing. How about you? I like learning new things. You guys like to learn new things? And I'm excited about getting to heaven for that purpose. Let's see what the Bible says about that. Okay, let's take a look, if you will, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Ephesians 2, verses 6 and 7. Heaven is this fresh, stimulating, invigorating place. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages. Now, when you read the coming ages, he's talking about when Christ comes back again, when his kingdom is established over all the world, that new heaven and the new earth is created. The Bible says, in order that in, coming, in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. So he says, when we get to these coming ages, there, there, there will be an incomparable riches of his grace that we will begin to learn. He will show these things to us. So it's a place of growth and development. Number five, the fifth thing about heaven that I know from, for sure from the Bible is that heaven is a place of immense beauty astounding architecture, and astounding design. Immense beauty, astounding architecture, and design. I love, uh, I love beautiful things. I love artwork. I love, uh, I love looking at buildings that are incredibly built. I love to see great architecture. It's just amazing to see the, how the, 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 the imagination of humanity comes up with some of the buildings they do and the engineers put it together. It's incredible to think about how those kinds of things happen. But I promise you, when you get to heaven, talk about a beautiful city and beautiful buildings, we've seen nothing yet. You with me on this? This is down to the place where we live, okay? You haven't seen anything yet. I want you to listen. I'm not sure if you're excited about this stuff. I'm really excited, okay? I love this stuff. I want you to listen to the description of heaven. Just listen to it. The writer of Hebrews says he was looking forward to the city with foundations. Read the rest with me. Whose architect and builder is God. Now, I can't imagine having an architect like that. How about you? So if you want to build a new building or you want to build a house... You want to get the best architect with the best reputation that your money can buy, right? Because what they design is what you're going to live in, okay? But the Bible says of heaven, God is the architect of heaven. He's designed this place, and He's not only the architect of it, but He's the builder of it. He, he designed it, and he also has made, he's watched over the construction of it. Revelation 21, verses 10 through 8. Listen again to some of the description of heaven. What is it like? What is this, this, this beauty of heaven all about? 
John, again, talking about his experience in the heavenly realms in Revelation chapter 21, said, And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Here's the description of this holy city. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. The wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Chapter 21, verse 19. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. Don't you wish you had a picture of that? Phenomenal to think about. But you get to heaven, you're going to see beauty far beyond anything that you've ever been able to imagine. And here's the last thing I want to mention to you this weekend about heaven. What is it? What kind of place is it? It's the place where we will see Jesus. I'm going to say it again. That's a great place for a better amen than that, okay? I know you were busy writing it down. That was the reason you didn't give me a stronger amen. But it's the place where we will see Jesus. Amen. Amen. Because the buildings are great, streets of gold, fantastic. Moses, I'm going to enjoy hanging out with him. It's going to be good. But what I really want, I really want to see Jesus. How about you? Because I know I'm there because of him. I'm grateful for what Moses did and preparing the way and David and all those guys, but I know that I'm there in heaven. I will be there because of what Jesus did for me. And so the center attention of heaven is not all the other folks. See, Moses and Joseph and David and Elijah and Elisha, they're going to be doing the same thing we're doing. Their their focus is going to be the same place our focus is. They're, They're not going to be focused on themselves. Their focus as well as ours will be on Jesus. He's the centerpiece. The highlight of heaven is Jesus. He's the one that made it possible for all of us to be there. He's the central attraction. He's the central focus of heaven. In Revelation 4, verses 1 through 11, listen as I read this. Just let your, let your spiritual imagination begin to rise as you think about seeing Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and me and rose again from the grave. John says, after this I looked. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. So he's, he's looking into heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must, must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. Who was that one sitting on it? Of course, Jesus. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald, an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there, were, there, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they, they, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth, fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of these four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped. 
stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him whose li- who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, O Lord and God, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. That sounds like an amazing event. How about how about it? So when you get to heaven, the most important event that will happen there is the event of seeing Jesus Christ and worshiping him the one who made it possible for your life. What is heaven all about? It's a place where there'll be no more sickness or sorrow or pain. All of that will go away. It's a place where you will reunite with those that have gone before you. It's a place where you will have the most fulfilling relationships you will ever have had in life. You're not getting out of escaping bad relationships for no relationship. You're going to enter into amazing relationships. It's a place where you're going to discover meaningful, enjoyable, purposeful work like you've never known before. Heaven is a place where you're going to grow and develop unhindered by things that have hindered you here. And most important, heaven is a place of immense beauty, astounding architecture, but all of it will point, more importantly, to the central focus of heaven, and that is none other than Jesus Christ himself. That's why the old-timers sang sang this song, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. Amen? Amen. That's what it's all about. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word tonight. We're so grateful that you're speaking to us about eternal life. And Father, we thank you that you've made eternal life possible for each one of us. And I pray that in this moment, Lord, that you will help us to celebrate the reality of that eternal life, to realize what heaven is all about, and to look forward to our time with you for eternity. And Lord, I also pray for those that are here this evening who perhaps have never given their life to Christ. I pray that this moment will be the time they would open their lives to you, that they would welcome you as Lord and Savior of their life. Lord, not one single person would leave here tonight without coming to the place of knowing you personally in a life-changing way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. 
Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.